0: By the time I was 29, I had three kids and a career. It was really hard. Uh, we struggled a lot financially. I can remember once selling our microwave to pay the electricity bill. And we were really young, you know, trying to figure it all out. And eventually I sort of became the the family breadwinner and we just went. You know, we, there was like no enjoying your 20s kind of moment. It was, now I'm enjoying my, my 40s and 50s yeah. because I'm an empty nester. But I felt a lot of pressure to succeed because I had this family that I needed to support and just became, you know, really, really ambitious. You're listening to the MILF podcast. This is the show where we talk about motherhood and sexuality with amazing women with fascinating stories to share on the joys of being a MILF.
1: Now here's your host, the MILFiest MILF I know, Jennifer Tracy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is MILF Podcast, the show where we talk about motherhood, entrepreneurship, sexuality, and everything in between. I'm Jennifer Tracy, your host. Welcome back, guys. This is an exciting week. This week on the show, I have Shannon Watts. Shannon is the founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And she also wrote a book recently that's out. If you want to buy it, I highly recommend it. It's called Fight Like a Mother. How a Grassroots Movement Took on the Gun Lobby and Why Women Will Change the World. Yes, by Harper One, published by Harper One. Uh, Shannon's a mother of five kids, and she used to be a corporate in the corporate setting, but then she was the, a stay-at-home mom during the Sandy Hook shooting, the Sandy Hook Elementary mass shooting. And she just had to do something. She was called to do something. And uh, I got the chance to sit down with her here in Hollywood um, at a recording studio, and we talked about it. And I'm just, I'm absolutely in awe of this woman and what she's done, what she has started, what she's connected. How many women and, and moms and, and people, not just moms, not just women, not just men, but this whole movement of awareness and support. Um, That is really has grown into one of the largest grassroots movements in in America. Um, It has over 5 million supporters. I can't wait to share this with you. Uh, But before I do, I wanted to uh, remind you that this month's give that I'm spotlighting is Every Mother Counts. I'm a big fan of theirs. In case you guys hadn't noticed, I use them over and over again to highlight what they're doing. The organization is incredible. There's a link to them on my website, milfpodcast.com. You can also go to everymothercounts.org and donate directly. Also, this episode is sponsored by our new sponsor, our newest sponsor, Clutch Gifts. This is such a beautiful store, you guys. It's an online curated gift store. Their website is clutchgifts.com. So Clutch Gift is a modern personal gift solution designed to enrich your relationships and simplify your life. I need this all the time because I'm always needing to get a gift for someone. And it means I have to like go out and, and pair, you know, a wine with a, this or whatever I'm going to do. And I'm pretty good at it. But these two women are experts at it. So each clutch is built around a sommelier selected small production wine And it's obsessively curated with small treasures that work together to tell a story of celebration, delight, and good taste, in their words. Whether an expression of true love, peace, gratitude, or congratulations on a job well done, there's a clutch gift for anyone lucky enough to be on your list. So Tracy and Molly, my two dear friends who started this company, are geniuses. um, And they are so generously not only sponsoring this episode, but they're offering my listeners... Uh, an exclusive 15% discount with the code MILF15. That's good through September 30th, 2019. So head on over to clutchgifts.com. Uh there'll be a link to the, their site also on the show notes on this page on my on my website, MILFPodcast.com. That's a lot of dot coms. But <laughs> anyway, it's all there uh, waiting for you if you're driving, if you're doing laundry, if you're child care taking. If you're walking the dogs, you can always come back to milfpodcast.com and look up this episode or do a search and you'll find it. Anyway, I'm just so lucky that I get to work with other women, other moms, Tracy and Molly are moms as well, um, and support them and be supported by them. And it's just this magical train that keeps going. So thank you, Tracy, Molly, so much. Thank you, Clutch Gifts. And thank you to my listeners. And I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Shannon Watts. Hi, Shannon. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you. Oh, it's so great to meet you. Just before we were hit record officially, you were talking about how you grew up in Connecticut.
0: No, upstate New
1: York. Upstate yeah, New York. Close, I'm so sorry. Close I'm sorry. I was I was half listening, which is I'm fully <laughs> engaged, but I was you I was East testing Coast. this stuff. Yes. So upstate New York, and you said your dad worked for Xerox. Yeah. Which was like, you said, like being in the military because we moved you moved everywhere. Wow.
0: So we I went to high school in San Diego, and then in the middle of my junior year, we moved to Plano, Texas, which is just outside of Dallas. Okay. And then I ended up going to college in Missouri, huh. which was a place I'd never been. And I stayed there for like a decade. Name a state, I can pretty much find a tie to it.
1: Really? Florida.
0: Oh, that's like the one that I
1: <laughs> my my dad lived there. My dad uh, lived there.
0: That's so yeah. funny.
1: That's so funny. New Jersey. Well, that's too easy. No, Maine.
0: I've gone there a lot with mom's to Maine action.
1: Okay, see? That's right. Okay. So you grew up all over college in Missouri. What was your major?
0: It was journalism and sociology.
1: Oh. You know, that's a
0: really productive double major. <laughs>
1: Are you kidding? That's a fascinating. I mean, well, that's always the thing. It's like, no matter I think what the major is, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about college and your kids are in college, most yes, of them now. Yes, many of them. Yeah. So, or I guess some of them are done. Two are
0: done. Oh my gosh. We've got one in Bloomington, Indiana. We've got, she's actually just dropped out of college to become a stand-up comedian.
1: Great. Yeah. Send her over here. I will. Yeah. And
0: uh, my other one is at the University of Denver, and then I have one going to the University of San Diego.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Nice place to to visit.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Tell me what happened after you graduated college. What was your, you graduate college, you're a young girl, you have the world at your feet. What what happens next? I thought
0: it was a really good idea to get married right out of college. Okay. I did that. And then three months later, I got pregnant. Wow. I had that baby. And then three months after that baby was born, I got pregnant. So by the time I was 26, I had two kids, but I also had started A career in communications. I went to work for Governor Carnahan in Missouri, where I wrote speeches and did sort of introductory communications stuff. Uh, And not too long after that, I went to work for a PR agency in Kansas City. Went full force very early. By the time I was 29, I had three kids and a career.
1: How did you balance that?
0: It was really hard. Uh, We struggled a lot financially. I can remember once selling our microwave to pay the electricity bill. And we were really young, you know, trying to figure it all out. And eventually I sort of became the, the family breadwinner and we just went, you know, we, there was like no enjoying your 20s kind of moment. It was, now I'm enjoying my, my 40s and 50s yeah. because I'm an empty nester. But yeah. I felt a lot of pressure to succeed because I had this family that I needed to support and just became, you know, really, really ambitious and really was on this career Trajectory for the first couple decades out of college, Um, and then that marriage ended. We were married so young, you know. It's really difficult, I think, to make a marriage work when you're married in your early twenties, and then you get to be in your thirties, and you're kind of like, "Oh, we're completely different people." I'm not the same person,
1: and you're not the same person exactly.
0: Um, And then I decided to take some time off because we were blending this family of five kids.
1: Wait, wait, wait. So you remarried? I remarried. Okay, just a couple of years later. Okay.
0: And we were blending this family of five, and several of them were in elementary, middle, and high school. And, you know, that's just sort of the time when kids get into trouble. And I yeah. thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break. Yeah. And five years into that break, I absolutely thought, I'm going to go back to work. I will go back into communications. The Sandy Hook School shooting tragedy happened and completely
1: altered my life's path. And spurred this amazing movement that you have started and inspired so many people. So you saw that, I was just reading the Denver Post article, uh, you saw that on on your news and you took action. What did you do?
0: Well, I can remember it was a December day and I was folding laundry and started to see the news come in that this horrific tragedy was unfolding in Newtown, Connecticut. Not too long after, there were actually pundits on my television saying that the answer was more guns, that hundreds of millions of guns in the hands of civilians just that wasn't enough to keep us safe. We needed more, and I knew nothing about gun policy. I knew I really wasn't politically active. Um, I certainly knew nothing about organizing, but I knew that that wasn't true, and that that really something had to be done because I'd seen. As every American had, all of these mass shootings happen and playing out for decades. And not to mention the daily gun violence that happens in this country, but no one had really acted. Even after one of Congress's own colleagues, Gabby Giffords, was shot, really no one did anything. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get online and I'm going to join something like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And I searched and I couldn't find anything. I found male-run think tanks in Washington, D.C. I found some one-off organizations in states, again, mostly run by men. And I knew that I wanted to be part of a badass army of women. So I thought, okay, what can I do? I'll I'll just start a Facebook page. And I, I lived in Indiana at the time. And I really did not have any social media footprint at all. So why I thought I would end up having a conversation with other people, I'm not sure. But that's exactly what happened. It was like lightning in a bottle where tens of thousands of people joined this Facebook page very quickly. And it's because so many women and moms had the same idea that day, which was it was time to get off the sidelines.
1: Yeah. When a mother has passion and clarity around that passion and then she bands together with other mothers, not that they have to be mothers, but, you know, there's something magical happens. So I love that you say that you wanted to be a part of a badass army of women because that just makes me want to stand up and like yell like a Viking with a (laughs) cry song. And, you know, I have my I'm shaking my fist in the air no weapon i don't have a weapon but my weapon just is my voice you know or my 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 defense is my voice so so you found your voice and you amplified that and attracted a tribe who said yes let's do something about this so from there you have this facebook group it's really active you guys are communicating what happened that and this was 2014
0: no this was 2012, going right
1: into 2013. Oh, right, because Sandy Hook, yeah. So
0: Sandy Hook was at the end of the the shooting, was at the end of 2012. Right. And first of all, these type A women all started Googling me, and they found my personal contact information. So, of course, they started (laughs) calling me and emailing me, as women will do, and just saying, like, I want to do this where I live, not really knowing what this was at the time. And we just began organizing, it first started out as people would call from a certain state. And really, they were calling from every state. And they were saying, okay, I want to start a Facebook page for my state. Yeah. And and that was really how we started organizing. We also had private Facebook pages where we could find one another. But that was the first thing that you did in the early days, was you would start a Facebook page for your state. Right. And then we we were kind of just organizing like that we got a call from the White House, and they said, we have been waiting for women and moms to organize in this way across the country. We want you to stand with us as we try to pass the Manchin-Toomey bill. The Manchin-Toomey bill was a bipartisan bill by Senator Pat Toomey and Democrat, a Republican, or sorry, Republican Senator Pat Toomey and Democratic Senator Joe Manchin. They got together, and this bill would, in honor of the Sandy Hook victims, require a background check on every gun sale. Right now, you only have to have a background check on a gun sale if it's from a licensed dealer. This would have covered unlicensed dealers. So that's what we began organizing around, more specifically. That took several months. We would go to meetings in district with our senators. Uh, We would go to D.C. on our own dime and meet with them there. Uh, We did all of these different sort of creative mom things, crafts, and all these different things to bring attention to this issue on social media and off. And then it failed to pass by just a handful of votes in April of 2013, including some Democratic senators who voted against it. And one of those senators was um, North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp, a woman, a mom, a Democrat. And she said the reason she voted against it, against Manchin Toomey, was because she'd heard more from the other side, meaning gun extremists. And we really just decided then and there that that would never happen again that we would never allow a lawmaker to say they made that decision because we hadn't been loud enough. And our volunteers intuitively pivoted to doing this work in state houses and boardrooms where they lived, as opposed to counting on Congress. And there were governors who were willing to act after Sandy Hook. Colorado, Connecticut, Maryland, Delaware. And that's really how we realized we would have to spend years building a political movement that didn't exist.
1: Wow. So, like, quite literally, grassroots from just your kitchen sink, folding laundry out to all these other moms doing whatever they're doing, and then on to all these bigger things. But you realize it had to be at that level, at that personal level, you know, mom to mom, and then to community to community is what I mean. Yeah, that's so interesting. So, Wow. Okay. Uh, I had a question and I forgot it, but now I'm going to come back to it. (laughs) Uh, My mind is just going on. I mean, I got chills just when you said, um, you know, you never wanted that to happen again because your voices weren't loud enough. And so, because it seems like from there, that's when you really just, you were like, we are going, you know, ovaries to the wall. (laughs) Like, we're not stopping. And from then you've just, you have not stopped a second.
0: We haven't. My schedule is incredibly busy, but also every volunteer, I'm a full-time volunteer, but these women on the ground figure out how sometimes to carve an entire extra work week out of their already busy schedules to work on this issue as volunteers. But all of it matters, right? Even if you are a mom who has an hour when her kids take a nap or when you get home from work, it all matters and it all accumulates the the problem is that we have been a silent majority for so long on this issue and this vocal minority these gun extremists have really been writing our gun laws and so now that we're getting off the sidelines and building political power and pulling the levers of power that we have because you know we're only 20% of lawmakers we're only 5% of fortune 1000 CEOs we're not making the laws and the policies that protect our families and our communities but We're the majority of the voting electorate. We're the majority of the population. But we make 80% of the spending decisions for our families, right? So those are super important levers of power. Eventually we'll be 50-50. I'm confident of that. But in the meantime, these are the ways that we can make a difference, make people listen. And
1: what shifts have you seen since that time when that didn't pass?
0: Well, we were able to, in that first year in 2014, pass stronger gun legislation through some of the state legislatures State legislatures, I mentioned. The other thing we realized very quickly was that we would have to play a lot of defense. So the NRA is really insidious at the state level, and they have passed horrible laws, or they try to pass horrible laws that we have to beat back. And we became very successful at playing defense. In fact, we have about a 90% track record of be- beating bad NRA bills like arming teachers, stand your ground something called permitless carry, forcing guns onto college campuses. And those bills show up year after year. So that, that was sort of one piece of it.
1: I didn't even know about some of those. Just as you were listing them, I'm like, that sounds so absurd. Yeah. And this is all coming from the NRA?
0: Most of it is coming from the gun lobby, yes. And whether that's the NRA as a national organization or the state gun groups that in many ways are even more extreme than the NRA. But there was also a corporate piece of this. You know, we were just talking about spending power. It was June of 2013 when I saw on the news that Starbucks was going to stop allowing cigarette smoking 20 feet outside its stores, regardless of state law, to protect customers, yeah. including electronic cigarettes. And there's something legal in this country in 45 states called open carry, which you don't see here in California. but. It means that you can go into a restaurant or retailer that allows you to with a semi-automatic rifle or with a gun just loosely in your pocket, not in a holster. It's called open carry, and I see it all the time in Colorado. Um, so I called Starbucks and I said, well, are you, you've been allowing open carry in your stores. We can see that online. Are you still going to allow that even though you're not allowing, allowing cigarettes? And they said, yes, we're going to follow state laws as it comes to guns. So we embarked on something called a mom cot and we were so small, we were only six months old, that we could not even do a full out boycott. We did not have the economic power. So we just did skip Starbucks Saturdays and we also made images of open carry inside Starbucks go viral using social media. And within three months, see C- the CEO, Howard Schultz, came out on national television and said guns are no longer welcome inside our stores. So we realized the incredible power that we had there. And we then replicated that at a lot of different companies. Um, And then we also wanted to teach people about responsible gun storage. So we started a program called Be Smart. And it's a really non-polarizing way to talk about the fact that 4.5 million children in America live in homes with unsecured guns and that they need to be locked, unloaded, and separate from ammunition. So all of these things, the, the legislative piece, the corporate piece, the cultural piece, that really was the genesis of
1: our grassroots movement. Wow. I'm so, I'm like a little bit, I'm a little bit starstruck right now just listening to you talk. I'm like, she's so smart. She's so amazing. She's doing all this stuff and she's really hot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. The hot part is an added bonus. It's true. And also like what you're doing is sexy, you know? It's empowering. It's sexy yeah. to be a woman empowering her voice, empowering other women's voices and protecting Our children, you know, ultimately, and I'm reminded I haven't thought about this in years. I was in journalism school as well for a minute, and I didn't. I switched my major to screenwriting. Shannon's like so; she's being so careful about crossing her legs, and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like a bull in a china shop. Anyway, I interned at a uh, local Denver news station in 1990. Gosh, 1995, I think, 94 or 95. Anyway, it was over the summer. I was home from college, interned, and I remember us getting a call, and I was just the young intern that would go with these news crews and again, this was before cell phones this was this was in the mid nineties, and we got a call, there was a gunshot, and we went to this area of Denver that I'd never been to before it wasn't it wasn't it didn't seem like a poor area, but it was just an area not I was not familiar with and um you know, I grew up in a very white privileged suburb, you know, so that's but I had been to college, I'd traveled a little bit. My point is, it was this Filipino family, and what had happened was this young nine-year-old boy had found a loaded gun in between the headboard and the mattress and was playing with it. I don't know where the parents were, they were home, but they were not in the, they weren't weren't watching him. And he was playing with it with his six-year-old sister and he ended up killing her, not knowing obviously what he was doing or that that would have happened. And I remember pulling up and just the wailing crying of the mother and the grandmother, because they all lived together was just so horrific and so agonizing to listen to. And I was just a kid. I think I was like 19 at the time. It really shook me. And, and it was, it, even though I didn't meet them or, you know, and that was the other thing, like the news crew I was with, they wanted me, me, they wanted to get me, the lackey, the 19 year old to go up to the family and try to get an interview. And I started walking up and thank God this police officer in a suit said, we're, you know, please leave the family alone. I was like, great. So I went back and I said, no, we're going to give them their privacy. And anyway, it was such a horrific scene and I will never forget it for the rest of my life. I haven't thought about it for a while. But it gave me that personal experience because I had never been exposed to guns. I wasn't raised in a house where there were guns around or Hunting or anything like that. So, to have that experience and just to know, like, wow, that's a choice that that, you know, and I'm sure there's a cultural element to that too that I didn't understand. But the, and that was before all these mass shootings started happening. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that. I just because it was such a personal story. It
0: is is the only country where we see children getting a hold of guns and either shooting or injuring themselves or others. And it is a uniquely American epidemic. And it's because, The responsibilities that go along with gun rights have been so incredibly eroded over the last few decades. Um, You know, NRA instructors sometimes encourage people to keep loaded guns in their kids' closets. And given that there are 4.5 million unsecured guns in children's homes in this country, it's such an important conversation to be having because you may think you know your friends or you may think, oh, I live in a blue state, or you may think, I know my family. But I can't tell you how many volunteers have said to me, I finally asked my parents, because I know they have a handgun, I asked them how they store it, and they found out that they keep it in a shoebox under the bed where their kid sleeps, right, when they visit. So there really is, if people want to learn more about it, it's smartforkids.org. But you can go there and learn all about how do I ask this question when I send my kids to friends and family's homes. Yeah,
1: yeah and you really have to ask it. And and I I've shared this on the show. So my son is nine going on 10. He's a history buff. He's obsessed with war, World War I, World War II, Vietnam. Um, and he's, now that he's such a reader, like he will read about it. Um, and he's really learning about why and how it happened and what it was. And But he loves having toy guns and he loves these airsoft rifles, right? So they're like airsoft rifles, you know this, but for the listeners uh, if, who don't know, they're kind of like BB guns, but the the pellets are like these round plastic things. It still would hurt if you shot them out. But my son is obsessed. If you walked into my house right now, you would be horrified because it's all these airsoft rifles. There, you know. But my ex husband and I have also made a point of like really sitting down with him from when he started having interest in this, from when it segued from cars to guns and soldiers, about the realities of this, about the not to scare him. You know, but just like, well, you know, this is this kind of gun and, you know, a gun with a bullet, you know, what are the consequences? And my ex-husband grew up in Louisiana hunting and and he knows all about gun safety. And he started teaching him about that, even with these, even with some of the plastic ones about like, this is where the safety would be. And so, but it was interesting being that mom, you know, and having that experience and having other kids come over and the moms and... Blooms would, my son would be talking about it. And a lot of moms will say, well, we don't, we don't play with guns or we don't talk about guns or we don't, you know, and I'm like, well, okay, we do. And I think it's really important to talk about because the fact is these little boys, and it's mostly little boys, not always, sometimes girls too, but they're just drawn to that from the time they can talk. I have five kids, four girls.
0: And when I had Sam, I thought, okay, he's just going to be like his sisters. And it's, Intuitive. I mean, he, I can remember he would be in the bathtub and he would take the Barbies they had left and he would turn them into guns. And this is not a kid
1: who was exposed to stuff like that. Same. My son wasn't either. He, I had, he hadn't even watched anything on TV at that point. He was still in preschool when he started showing interest in it. He yeah. like,
0: oh, okay, this is slightly
1: innate then. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, and, and as with everything, like information, education, showing, you know, showing them the broad spectrum of it, but also the specifics age appropriate, I'm talking. Yeah, of course. um, It's crucial.
0: And and the other part of that is, you know, we have seen studies that show that while it's fine to educate your kids about guns, if you leave them alone in a room with a loaded gun, especially boys, they will still play with it because they are curious, right? We don't teach kids not to touch the stove and then leave it on. So that's why our program is all about educating adults to take responsibility. Only 28 states in this country hold gun owners accountable for safe storage of their guns. And so where I live in Colorado, you know, if I left a loaded gun on my kitchen counter and my son got it and injured himself or someone else, it would be a misdemeanor and a $400 fine. So that's why it's so important until we have stronger gun laws in place to really be a part of the education. Yeah. Thank you for that. And
1: we'll have... um for my listeners, we'll have links to all of this in the show notes and all these websites so that you can go on and learn and, and also get involved. Um, so, wow. So you also just had a book come out. Can we talk about your book?
0: Yes, Fight Like a Mother. It came out a week, ago, two weeks ago, I guess now. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you.
1: That's so exciting.
0: It has been really fun to travel across the country and do book events with volunteers and thank them for their their work. This book tells a lot of their stories. Um, I say it's part memoir in that I talk about what was it like to go from being a corporate communications executive to being a full-time mom to now the tip of the spear on an issue that can be very volatile. Um, I say it's part manual because I get so many calls from especially women and moms who say, how did you do this? Because... There's an issue that I'm passionate about, and I want to do something similar in my neighborhood or my community or my state. And then I say it's part manifesto because I want women to take the skills they learn as activists, especially with our organization, and move from shaping policy to making it as lawmakers.
1: Mm. That's so badass. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> the three M's. Yes, I love that. So, and do you, now you, you said, I forget what you just said, you said the point you're the point of a spear.
0: The tip of the spear. The tip of the spear, yep.
1: excuse me. That's powerful. And that's also really threatening to a lot of people. Yes, so, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. It's been an interesting six years. How has that affected your private life and your own safety and security? I mean, how do you, you know, move around? Like, I was I was doing an Instagram before this, and I was like, I'm at an undisclosed location interviewing a very important woman who's coming. Um, not that I was afraid of anything, but... Also, because we're in a secured building and so on and so forth. However, it was something I thought about when I was interviewing you, And it's actually why I picked this place, you know. So I was wondering how you how you personally negotiate that.
0: Within hours after starting the Facebook page, I started to get threats. All my personal information was public. So I was getting texts and calls. And Did
1: anybody show up at your house? Yeah,
0: people oh drove God. by my house really slowly. People started sending me letters like with the son of Sam stuff cut out of magazines. You're kidding me. And early on, this is when I lived in Indiana, I called the police and the local policeman came to the door and I just wanted to say, could you keep an eye in the house kind of thing? And he said, well, that's what you get when you mess with the Second Amendment, (gasps) ma'am. So I kind of realized early on I was in this alone, at least from that standpoint. But there's this underbelly of America, right, that exists and they are gun extremists and they want to silence you. They want to intimidate. Me, our volunteers, and I just refused to let that happen because you know if we lose our children, we really have nothing left to lose. And it became like white noise for me for the last several years. What has been a sort of a new chapter in that saga is that the NRA has started attacking me directly. So a few days before Mother's Day, they started um, tagging me on Instagram and on Twitter and and really telling their followers to go after me. And really graphic death threats and sexual violence threats began again um, really within the last month or so. I travel with uh, security and I use an alias, which to me is so bizarre because here I am just this 48-year-old woman who wants a background check on every gun sale. I'm a mom of five. And And you have to be the one under. Doesn't seem that controversial to me, but apparently it is still to some people.
1: Wow. Well, I just so applaud you and everything that you're doing and your bravery, and I just can't wait to see what you pull off next. Like, this is really exciting. And how does your what does your husband think about this?
0: You know, my whole family has been incredibly supportive. I don't think I could do this work if they were very afraid for me. They, they know that it needs to get done. Um, I think, you know, anyone who has teenagers know that they don't really care that much what you're doing at any given time. They're glad you're busy doing something. Yeah, Um, But my husband has been just incredibly supportive and wonderful. Mm. Has he been scared
1: by any of that stuff?
0: I've never felt like he was scared. And I am glad because I think that would make me scared. I was in an event in Denver last week. There were protesters outside. And then a man inside had to be sort of dragged out by police because he was filming it. And he started filming children in the audience. And I came home and told my husband and he just, he thought it was so great and so amazing as opposed to like being terrified or upset. So right. he's like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you're onto something really important when it gets the attention of multiple perspectives.
0: Well, and it's not just me, right? So this happens at volunteer events too. I'm sure. We, we just had a Wear Orange weekend, which is a way to honor victims and survivors of gun violence, but also just to bring national attention to this crisis. And in Ohio, in Cincinnati, people, Open Caring, showed up at our event just to make a point, Mm. a really gross point. It's just something that is par for the course when you're working on this issue. And it really is meant to
1: intimidate and silence. Yeah. So now that the book is out and you're experiencing all this, what what is next for you? I mean, I I know you're busy right now, or is it just more of this, more of... of
0: I think we're at such an important inflection point in the movement. You know, we outspent the NRA. We also outmaneuvered them in the, t- the midterm elections. And they're under all this investigation right now for misspending members' money, uh, for their ties to Russia. So they go into 2020 with their hands tied behind their back. We go into 2020 stronger than we've ever been as a movement. After the horrible tragedy in Parkland, Florida, our organization tripled in size because so many... Americans wanted to get off the sideline, and we are not just moms, we're mothers and others. And we have been able to take that newfound size and, and really turn it into political power. When Parkland happened, legislative sessions had just started, and so we were able to pass stronger gun laws in 20 states last year, nine of which were signed by Republican governors. And I think the, the, the fact that every single candidate, including the Republican that's primarying the president, is fighting to be the best on this issue. They're competing. That's a sea change in American politics. So I'm really excited about the upcoming election.
1: Wow, that's awesome. And I have to ask, how are you feeling about, it's off topic, but not off topic, the recent changes in the abortion laws in several of the states. How are, what do you think about that? Well, you know, it's interesting because these
0: lawmakers who believe laws will stop abortion are the same Lawmakers often who don't believe that stronger gun laws will stop gun, gun violence. It really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I thought after the election of Donald Trump that we could lose a lot of energy in our organization because people would feel torn in so many directions to pay attention to different things that were going on. And, and people should. They should get involved in whatever issue they're passionate about. But I think because you know we're actually the largest grassroots movement in the country now, we had built this machinery on the ground after the election and, and whenever there's a horrific shooting tragedy in this country and people decide they want to get involved, we make it so easy to join. You know, We, we actually have this whole group of volunteers who call and welcome people who sign up to, to participate in our organization. We make sure you're invited to an event right away. And then we find out what you want to work on and, and how you want to get involved and how we can best use your time. And I think that attracts people to our organization. And it makes them feel right away like they're plugged in and they're making a difference and they're winning. We did a, a poll of volunteers and said, what keeps you motivated? What keeps you volunteering on this issue? And it was it was winning. And that's not a story you hear that we're winning on this issue. Yeah. And, and it's just so important to keep that in mind.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Do you watch Handmaid's Tale? I watched the first season <laughs> and then it just started
0: to get so dark and so violent that I just couldn't it's so
1: dark. Well, the second season just started and I watched the first three episodes and I have to say it, it's chilling watching it now, almost a year later, I think, from when it was last on and what's what's changed here in, in the States. And just to think about how oftentimes, and as you said earlier, and you gave the statistics about we're only 20% of lawmakers, we're only, you know... And, but to hear you say that you're optimistic that we will be 50%, gives me so much hope because sometimes, you know, I will see what's going on in the world and get my snippets. I really only read the New York Times and the LA Times. And sometimes I listen to NPR. That's how I get my news. Um, cause that's about all I can take, honestly. But, um, sometimes my, the takeaway for me and the, and the walk away is, I feel defeated as a woman. I feel defeated. And and I have felt defeated as a mother, you know, as a woman who has a child and and then therefore has that vulnerability. But what I'm hearing you say and what you're demonstrating with what you've accomplished and the, the, the movement has accomplished is actually the opposite is true. That's right. Yeah. If there's a silver lining to what is
0: happening in this country right now, it's that women are energized like never before. 40 of our volunteers and gun violence survivors ran for office in 2018, 17 won. Everything from city council to Congress, including Lucy McBath. I don't know if you know her yes, story. Yes. So she was a Georgia mom whose son was visiting his dad in Florida. He was a black teen. He was shot and killed um, by a white man who said his music was too loud. Lucy became a Moms to Action volunteer, eventually was on our staff. And decided she would run for a seat held by 30 years, for 30 years by Republicans in Georgia, Newt Gingrich's old seat, and she won. And the first thing she did five days into this congressional session was co-sponsor and help pass the most sweeping gun reform bill to go through any chamber of Congress in two decades. Um, Just last week, she introduced something called a red flag bill at a federal level. So, when women vote, they vote on this issue. When they run and win, they legislate on this issue. And it's just so incredibly important to keep talking about the fact that women have a moral imperative right now to run.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you get tired? <laughs> <laughs> because it's funny, when you walked in, and I know that you're on this whirlwind book tour and you're just doing event after event. And I'm following along on, on social media with all that you're doing. And you walked in and I said, Are you tired? And you're like, I'm so lucky I get to do this, you know? And and I can just sense from you're just your passion fuels your energy is what I'm seeing. But do you have days where you just feel really tired and defeated?
0: I never ever feel defeated. And I mean that. I'm not just saying that. Because I see so much winning on the ground, because I go I work shoulder to shoulder with other volunteers, particularly gun violence survivors, who are taking their pain and using it, turning it into action to protect perfect strangers. Uh, Because I see that we are a political powerhouse now. And I know that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Any political movement is. If you look at marriage equality, that didn't happen overnight. They started at Congress. They didn't get what they wanted. So they pivoted to state houses and boardrooms just like we have. And it took many years. Um, And they still have to protect the gains that they've made. So this movement is really no different. We've only been at this for just over six years now, and I believe, you know, it will happen in in not-too-distant future. This will take several election cycles, but certainly I have to take care of myself. I talk a lot in the book about self-care. It is so incredibly important to remember it is a marathon, not a sprint, but it's also a relay race. We can pass the baton to other people. Women so often think, first of all, I have to take on all this work because I'm a perfectionist and I can do it the best. But they also think, if I don't take on all this work, it's a sign of failure, or I'm giving it to other people when I should be doing it. There are all these things that we get caught up in. Sure. But we've built this organization of volunteers where we really rely and trust one another. We rely on each other. And when things get too hard, we can step out. And, and I talk in the book about, you know, my daughter developed an eating disorder probably two or three years into my work with Moms Demand Action. She was away at college. And there were times when I would be driving to the airport and I would just have to call in and say, "I can't go to this event. I'm going to turn back around, I'm going to go home. I'm, I've, I've really got to take care of my daughter." That is, is important in activism. it's important in life. It's important to recuperate and rest. I'm really looking forward to I get to go on a vacation on uh, June 29th, and I will spend that week relaxing because it has been a whirlwind, but I also do feel incredibly lucky to have found something so incredibly
1: fulfilling to do with my life. Mm, that's so amazing. And to have um, the support of your family behind you is huge. Really huge.
0: Yeah, I, I think it would be really tough. I mean, I certainly there are extended family members who I um, am related to who don't support what I'm doing. But again, that's kind of like white noise. I, I, As long as my husband and my kids are good, I'm good.
1: Yeah. So big dream, let's say however many years in the future, What's the ultimate goal? I know it's, like you just said, it's a long game, it's a marathon, but as far as changing the laws and really seeing something that's going to say, oh, this is really, we've hit this huge milestone that we've been working for. What does that look like?
0: Well, we're all waiting for this con- this cathartic moment in Congress. The fact that they haven't acted yet is often why I think people say to me, you know, aren't you defeated? Or don't you feel dejected? You know, this nothing's happening. Because they don't see the work that's happening in state houses and boardrooms. So eventually, when we do get the right president and Congress in place to act on this issue, that will make a huge difference because guns go across state lines as easily as cars do. We really do need federal laws that protect everyone. I don't think that's too far off that happening. Um, Also, working across uh, party lines in state legislatures, this has become, in many places, a bipartisan issue where we can get Republicans and Democrats alike to support the data that says stronger gun laws work. And I'm eager to have that happen in all states. We are now starting to see influencers and companies join us. I have to imagine 20 years ago, marriage equality was similar, right? You couldn't get celebrities or people to weigh in publicly. But now if you don't, you're on the wrong side of this issue. So we do have amazing women like Julianne Moore who have spearheaded efforts among the creative community to get involved in this issue. And then companies, we don't have to necessarily drag them kicking and screaming into this anymore. Levi's, Tom's, Shoes, Dick's Sporting Goods, they've all come to us to work on this issue to be part of our coalition. All of it is important change. All of it is building momentum on the ground. And I believe that it will sooner rather than later point the right president and Congress in the right direction.
1: Wow. That's so amazing. I'm so inspired by you. I'm absolutely inspired. We've come to the point in the, at the end of every interview, I ask all my guests the same three questions, and then we go into a fun round of lightning questions. So what do you think about Shannon when you hear the word MILF?
0: Well, I think of the guy once before, that was a popular phrase, and I got off an escalator and it was a driver waiting to pick someone up at the airport. And that's what the sign said, MILF. And I had no idea what it meant. And I went and Googled it. I was like, wow, that is really brave and
1: brazen. And also, what was he thinking? How did he know, know that like 80 women wouldn't come up and be like, oh, you must be here to pick me up. Um, That's so funny. Well, just to reiterate some of my newer listeners. Yes, the old phrasing, uh, the old male, male coined phrase is still around. But my acronym is moms I'd like to follow. And Shannon, I would follow you anywhere. Thank you. What's something you've changed your mind about recently?
0: The death penalty. I grew up in upstate New York with very conservative parents. And I don't know if it was recent, but within the last five years, I realized that this is about social injustice and not about consequences for your actions. Mm. And all the data, again, I think things that we should we do and believe in life should be data-driven and research-based. And... I always thought, you know, when people committed horrible crimes, that made sense as a penalty. But now I realize that obviously that penalty is being given much more often to people of color and people in marginalized communities um, and, and would never support the death penalty now.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: How do you define success? Wow. My, my view of success has changed so much because I always thought it was to be at the pinnacle of your career and to, you know, have the highest title you could and make the most money that you could. Now I realize that I was not at all fulfilled doing that work, and success is getting to do something that you wake up and
1: enjoy every single day. And you have so much passion behind it. Yeah. That's so evident. Okay, lightning round of questions. Sure. Ocean or desert? Ocean. Favorite junk food? Ice cream. Movies or Broadway show? Broadway show. Texting or talking? Texting. Cat person or dog person? Dog. I used to be cat, now I'm dog. Interesting. Yeah,
0: I've, that was another thing I've changed my mind about. Yeah. I should have used that answer. Yeah.
1: There's so many seems things, seems less, right? yeah.
0: less uh, serious than the death penalty. <laughs> Both great answers. Yeah. Have you
1: ever worn a unitard? Oh, certainly in the 80s. Who didn't? <laughs> we all did. Danskin, anyone? <laughs> yes, dance skin. Oh, my gosh. Shower or bathtub? Oh, bathtub, always. Yeah. Um, ice cream or chocolate? Chocolate ice cream. Can Ooh, I go with that? Yes, you can. Yummy. Oh my God, what is going on out there? <laughs> they're just wheeling it's like they're, like, things back going. and forth. Like, are they out there or out here? I think they're out there because there's an alleyway. It's so funny because they put me in this room because it's quieter. On of the, course. It's not cool the he- pool yes, and everything. Exactly. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at ping
0: pong? I have to practice and then I'm really good. So I'm going to go say, I'm going to say seven. Nice. Yeah. What's your biggest pet peeve? I can't even tell you how many times a day I'm asked. Why are you involved in this when we're losing on this issue? And I it's a little like Groundhog's Day, but it's an important role to play to explain that we're not losing all the time. Yeah. But I get asked that question a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just kind of asked it earlier. No. Saying, do you ever feel defeated? But you asked but I didn't what, mean. You, you it was gave a me an opening to explain how we weren't. But yes. people
0: really in media, for example, like um I argued with Chris Cuomo all weekend after the uh, Virginia Beach shooting on Twitter because mm-hmm. he said Americans don't have the will to fix this issue. Can you imagine any other issue that killed 100 Americans a day and people would be fatalistic about it? Yeah. Just frustrating. Yeah.
1: That Um, and people who snore. (laughs) Top two. If you could push a button and it would make everyone in the world 7% happier, but it would also place a worldwide ban on all hairstyling products, would you push it? Does that
0: include Velcro rollers? (laughs) As long as I can have Velcro rollers, because that's not really a hairstyling product. That's a tool.
1: I really think I just fell in love with you fully. Like, that was the best. I I
0: do Velcro rollers every day of my life since the 80s when they had the spongy ones. Really, And now I use, and they're really important. So I'm going to feel bad for that whole 7% of the population if that's
1: considered a product. If everyone in the world would be 7%, just 7% though. If you're going to take my Velcro rollers away, that's absolutely not. Well, in what you're doing, the percentage is gonna be way higher. Right. With the progress you're already making. They'll be alive. They'll be alive. Right. 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 And and probably feel a lot safer just in general.
0: Full hair. I'll have full hair.
1: (laughs) Volume. Superpower choice. Mm. Invisibility, ability to fly, or super strength. Oh,
0: I love invisibility. That would be so fun.
1: Would you rather have this is a weird question. I lose some people on this one. But I gotta. I'm fo- be a putting little weird. all my focus on okay. it. Okay. Would you rather have six fingers on both hands or a belly button that looks like foreskin? Six fingers. That's disturbing. <laughs> See? I don't. Does anyone answer it differently? Oh yeah.
0: Oh god.
1: Um, and you, you. I didn't ask you the other weird question. I won't even ask you how you came up with that. I'm weird. I like to be weird. I mean, it's called the MILF podcast. I have to be a little edgy. What was the name of your first pet? Little
0: kitty. Oh, not very original. That was her name when we got her at the Yeah, but you must have been pound. a child. I was, yeah. And then little Kitty met a very tragic demise. <gasps> but she was my first pet.
1: Shannon, you're amazing. What you're doing is amazing. Thank you. I'm so inspired by you, and I just have so much respect for you. Thank you well, for coming out to the show. Well, it's an honor to be here and to meet you. Same. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Shannon Watts. Join me next week for a fresh episode of MILF Podcast. And don't forget to head on over to Clutch gifts.com and use your special exclusive MILF discount with the code MILF15. I love you guys. Keep going. See you next time.